Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you. If you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years, there is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Hey guys, want to give you a heads up on what's going on with the show. We are excited to share with you that we are launching a new website. It's ar-15podcast.com. That's ar-15podcast.com. Uh, we will have all the latest news uh, for the show up there and also latest news about our next giveaway. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. Also, you can support the show there. We've set up a new Patreon where you can support monthly. Uh, you can also support through a PayPal gift, which is just a, a one-time support for the show. So if you appreciate the hard work and the effort and the uh, things that we do to bring you this show every week, uh, we would appreciate your support. Um, all the support goes back into the show. Nothing comes to the hosts or to Anthony. We will reinvest everything back into the show. Check that out, the Patreon link and the PayPal link are there on the page under donate now to the giveaway we have teamed up with new frontier armory uh my gun shop here in vegas you can visit them at newfrontierarmory.com we are giving away to one lucky ar-15 podcast listener a c45 side charging pistol it's got the new frontier armory logo on one side and the new ar-15 podcast logo on the other check it out at our website ar-15podcast.com that is the only place you'll be able to sign up for it and uh, one of you guys is going to take it home uh, we appreciate you guys listening to the show check out the new website uh, if you can support that would be great we have big plans for the show and things we'd like to do and a hundred percent of what you support the show with uh, will be dumped right back into the podcast once again we appreciate you guys thank you for listening and check out ar-15podcast.com on this episode of the AR-15 podcast, we are joined by Jordan and Patrick from SIG. Uh, this is my uh, early, early Christmas present to Reed. So, uh, Reed, I-, I hope I make your Christmas card list this year. I don't know, Katie. You've been pretty brutal, but I guess this is a start. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Patrick and Jordan, thanks for joining us today. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, just a, a little bit about you guys, how um, each one of you got into firearms and uh, ended up working at uh, one of the most prestigious companies in the firearms world. Patrick? <laughs> yeah, so I uh, actually uh, come here from about, I had about uh, about seven years of experience in the firearms industry. I worked for uh Smith & Wesson uh, prior to coming here uh, for several years. I started there uh, at the time as a uh, channel manager more on the sales side and kind of migrated into learning uh, a lot about our product and they eventually pushed me into product management and I did that for a few years there and then uh, being New Hampshire born and raised native, uh, always wanted to work at SIG so last year I uh, joined on the SIG team and uh, about a it's been a year and a couple months now since I've been there, and uh, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. And uh, I, I heard Patrick worked at Sig, so I had to work there. <laughs> um, I uh, growing up, <laughs> growing up, uh, just being an avid hunter, and, um, <clears throat> and uh, after high school, joining the Marine Corps, uh, fell more in love with firearms there. And um, after I got out of college, after I got out of the Marine Corps. Uh, and then college, uh, I went to work for Daniel Defense shortly after, uh, and worked my up, way up through the marketing department. Uh, became director of marketing, and uh, shortly after that, uh, came on with SIG uh, about uh, two years ago. And uh, you know, it's it's like playing for the Yankees. Uh, if you guys are base, baseball fans, 
Uh, well, and I say that, but we're in New England, so I get corrected all the time. But <laughs> it is really uh, a, a group of people who are committed to uh, winning and absolutely passionate about innovation and uh, never satisfied. So it's, it's great to be a part of that kind of an organization. Tell me a little bit about the uh, beginning of SIG. And uh, then, Reed, I will let you step in and run the rest of the show, buddy. Sure. Um, so, Patrick, I'll take this one. SIG, uh, 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 J.P. Sauer and Son uh, was uh, founded in 1751. It's the um, oldest firearms manufacturer still active in Germany to this day, in fact. Um, so, uh, fast forward quite a bit and quite a lot of history, just to, I don't want to bore anybody too much, but... It actually started as a wagon wheel company and then uh, slowly developed after the war effort into a, a firearms manufacturer. But uh, by 19, fast forward to the United States, 1985, uh, SIG opened its first American location in uh, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, and uh, under the name SIG Arms. Uh, it wasn't short, it was shortly after that, about two, three years after that, there's a re- relocation uh, from Virginia to Exeter, New Hampshire. Um, and that was actually was like in 1990. And that's where we first started manufacturing, uh, our first firearm in the United States. And that was the P229. Um, interesting though enough, uh, SIG was, um, and a little bit of, it was, there's some mismanagement and, and, and things like that that took place. So there was, SIG was actually bought, um, uh, by the current owners, Michael Luque and Thomas Ordemeyer purchased SIG arms. And it's Europe, sister European companies, uh, that's J.P. Sauer and Son and Blauser and Mauser and Swiss Arms. Uh, they purchased, uh, SIG with that group of firearm companies for a dollar in, uh, 2000, funny enough. SIG was in that kind of trouble at that point in time. Uh, and in 2005, they hired Ron Cohen. Uh, Ron, uh, is president and CEO and Ron came from Kimber. Uh, you guys are very familiar with Kimber and, he really changed the culture at SIG and uh, started manufacturing and bringing more and more of that technology, uh, manufacturing more and more in the United States and focusing that effort here in the United States and hiring the best talent he could possibly find. That's that's really where that uh, George Steinbrenner, New York Yankees analogy comes in. I mean, he was committed <laughs> to winning, you know, just like Steinbrenner committed to winning pennants and, and world championships. Cohen was absolutely committed to bringing the best he could possibly find from inside the industry. Uh, here to make SIG great, and and he's continued that mindset with the, the additions of the optic division, hiring guys like Andy York from uh, Leopold, uh, and uh, well Kevin Brittingham, who did in, did initially start the uh, suppressor division, and uh, but it's since gone on, and and uh, guys like Dan Powers from Ruag USA to stop to start the. Uh, the uh, ammunition division, and uh, now Bud Feeney helps run that that side of things. But uh, just really committed, not buy, not buying companies because he's interested in getting into optics or uh, diversifying the product offering SIG has, but really uh, starting with those subject matter experts in those individual fields and building it from the ground up the way the way doing it the right way. Uh, he's committed to winning, so that's that kind of brings us to uh, this this. Really, uh, this mindset of, uh, just dominating whatever, uh, uh, whatever, uh, part of the firearms industry, optics, ammunition, suppressors, dominating every, every one of those lanes that we possibly can by bringing, uh, 
investing a ton of money in research and development and uh, machinery, uh, manufacturing plants, and then that uh, capital investment in people. So um, let me ask you, Jordan, in the beginning, I guess in terms of when uh, Sig Sauer, the pistol manufacturer, became really a part of the U.S. landscape, wasn't that about the same time that the U.S. was looking for a new pistol for the military? Yeah, it certainly was, and that was that was uh, that was around that was 1985 time frame. So it was definitely around there. And and, and 1987 is really where we put more. Uh, at that point in time, Red had won the contract, right? Uh, if I'm right. correct, them. So, uh, but it but in 1987 there was even more of an emphasis. We re- relocated. That's where we relocated from Virginia. Uh, to where we are um, uh, right now, and we started manufacturing the 220, the 230, uh, the 225, the 228, and then the 226. Uh, and then in 1990, I was actually incorrect a little bit ago. Uh, my, my years were a little turned around, but in 1990 we started developing. Uh, that was when we did the uh, an Exeter enhancer, the 229. Right. So, you know. Now, my understanding is that all, the the entire P series is really based on a much older designed pistol, the P210, which uh, my understanding is is that it was kind of the the impetus for the Swiss. Um, I don't speak any foreign languages all too well, but SIG, um, S-I-G is uh, the Swiss aspect of SIG Sauer. And, of course, the Swiss being a neutral company, I believe, had national restrictions on a company selling firearms. So yeah, I, I definitely fast-forwarded through a lot of that. So we were uh, J.P. Sauer & Sons, uh, GmbH, that side of the German side was 1751. Uh, right. And, and the, uh, the Swiss side of things was 1853, and that was the wagon wheel company. That is the SIG part of SIG Sauer. Uh, and obviously J.P. Sauer & Sons is the... Uh, uh, the Sauer and Sons part is uh, the GmbH, the German side of, of uh, Sig, what is present day Sig Sauer. And well, I'm sure that you know Sig has an extensive history in Europe, but in terms of I think what most American shooters and consumers are familiar with, it's principally the P line, isn't it? it there's definitely a ton of interest in in, in uh, that cl- what we call our classic line, and that's where that's where we came from. That's what we're known at, known for, um, but. Recently, uh, there's been the P320. Obviously, we won uh, the MHS contract with that. Uh, D, uh, DHS as well uh, with the 320. Uh, and uh, Patrick, I mean, how many years ago did we start developing uh, the rifle line with the MCX, MPX, and those innovative products? Uh, that was within the about the last five or six years. We started really. We've been developing the rifles long before we brought some of them to market, but. That was when we started to more go after the uh, the military and law enforcement side and try to compete in some of the contracts. That's when we started to develop more of our rifles. Our M400 line is uh, that was kind of our our staple line of uh, a similar to an M4 platform. And then uh, shortly after, when we really started to dig in deep to try to go after some of these contracts, we started developing our other platforms, the MCX and the MPX, which kind of became the pinnacle of our line to go after. Some of these, some of these bigger contracts that we we've won and gone after over the years. Now, the original M400, um, 
and and I've never owned this big rifle. My my gun safe is replete with any number of SIG pistol. But can you take me through kind of the, the very you know early SIG rifles? Now are they through the form with the AR platform? <clears throat> the, the, they, yeah, the M four hundred is uh, that was built around the the M four platform. Um, we did do some things to uh, kind of separate ourselves from the rest of the industry. We developed our own lower that. Uh, had some AMBI controls that had uh, AMBI QDs that were built into the lower itself. We developed some parts to that firearm. Um, it, it was really our launch pad to get into the AR market. Um, Similarity-wise, though, as far as a, a direct impingement system, very similar to a lot of the rifles that are on the market, we focused heavily on the quality of the product, not so much the uh, changing the product from what the what the AR design was. It wasn't until we dove headfirst into the MCX, which was a uh, was is a uh, a totally different rifle, and kind of what I see is the next generation of the AR platform that we really started to dig in and develop our own technology and uh, become a leader in the in the AR market. Now, in terms of the, I guess the growth of the AR and the AR in the industry, the firearms industry, you were one of the early companies to offer your own variant. I mean. You're certainly not a Johnny come lately. You've been there for quite some time. Correct. Yeah, that was. I mean, w- when we started competing with the M400, we uh, our, our, we started getting ourselves more out there, and then we we developed also the 516 rifle, which was our first uh, our first piston gun, and that was really when we started getting our foothold into some of these big military contracts. Was with the 516. Um, if, if you if you haven't seen the 516, it is it is basically it's a workhorse of our line. It was developed to be a truly a bulletproof rifle. I mean, it's through and through everything about the gun is as rigid and as strong as you can get, and it's it's as reliable of a rifle that you'll ever find on the market. And it gave us a reputation amongst the industry that Sig is a major player in the rifle game, and that's when we really started to take some of these bigger contracts. And to this day. Uh, even with the development of the MCX, uh, we've, we still get a lot of contracts with the M400, but most, mostly a lot of our bigger stuff is, is the 516 because people know the rifle around the world as one of the most reliable platforms. So in terms of the, the, the rifle side of things, when we're talking about what essentially is, uh, an entire line using, um, the AR-15, uh, manual of arms, uh, uh, would that be fair to say? Yeah, the only thing, like I said, that was that was much different was our uh, the the ambi controls that we we put into everything that we have. But outside of that, manual arms was the same. Even when we developed the MCX, the MCX was our gun to go after. Uh, design wise, a lot of it was to go after the scar, but we maintained that manual of arms because we the groups that we were dealing with it was a critical thing. I mean. Any of these groups, the the knowledge of the platform is a big thing. So when any of the development we made in any of the products we have, we maintain that same manual of arms. So has SIG ever been faced, I mean, do you feel, I guess, between the both of you with, um, I don't know, an identity bias? I mean, do you see people say, oh, SIG, you guys make rifles? Or, you know, yeah. I thought you guys yeah. were always a pistol company. I, I think that's. Through, uh, like I said, I, I, I came from Smith & Wesson, and I worked in New Hampshire for Thompson Center, and 
every company I've worked for, I think, has had that to some extent. Like at Thompson, we were we were a muzzle loader company. When I went to Smith, we were a revolver company. When you come to Sig, we're obviously known for our classic line pistols. Um, I, I, like I said, I think that that's pretty widespread around the industry. Everybody has what their kind of staple is, and that's not a bad thing to be known for. I mean, if there's something you want to be known for, our P line of pistols is amazing. I, I that that is something that really did kick the company off. So yeah, there, there is that to some extent. I think a lot of people uh, see us not just as even a pistol company, but more we've had the same uh, the same building process with our striker fire polymer line because. We were never really known for that as well, but I think that's that's a very fair thing to say because, like I said, across the industry, I think most of the companies all have what got them going and what got them on their feet. And for us, it was it was our classic line pistols. So, in terms of the U.S., um, for instance, I have uh, relatives in law enforcement. Um, SIGs are very popular. Um, the 357 SIG was a caliber they adopted. So I know that your fingers are all throughout the U.S. in terms of government contracts. Um, is your rifle line as integrated, would you say? Oh, yeah. In government? Yeah, uh, all around the world. Um, so we actually have, uh, we, we have a, a global group um, that focus all on our, our international customers, and we have a military group, and we have a law enforcement group, and we are, yeah, we are pretty well spread around the world as far as rifle and pistol. Um, I would say even as far as our international side, uh, we may be as well, if not more well-known for the rifle side, um, just because we got into a lot of places with the 516 and the developments we had made in that platform. And now with the growth of the MCX, the MCX, is be- it's so different from everything else that's out there that we're, we're positioning ourselves with groups that uh, that in the past may not have dealt with us, and now they're seeing some of the products like the MCX and the Rattler that we're putting out. We're, we're filling markets that uh, other companies can't fill, and it's giving us the ability to open more doors and to get into more of these groups. But for sure, we are known, uh, I would say, as well as a rifle company throughout the world as a pistol company with those groups. You know, we've seen the MCX and the, and the product as it's come through, but of course, there's also the MPX. Do you yep. see those as kind of a a parallel product offering? Yeah, so the the reason the MPX and the MCX obviously share a, a similar name is they were both designed to be modular platforms. And uh, realistically, when we developed the, the guns, it was kind of a side-by-side effort. We wanted to have that short-stroke piston system to make sure that we had the, the, com- the most compact platform possible. Also, to have the ability to interchange barrels, which we did in both of them, um, they were they were very close together projects that worked side by side. And yes, the idea was if we can make these platforms close enough, groups use them for different purposes. But if operationally they're similar, it uh, it allowed us to get better success with an overall platform success with a couple of different offerings to these groups. While one focuses on what I would essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, essentially term pistol caliber. Um, cartridges uh, yep. along the lines of what people traditionally call the submachine gun role. Yes. And then, of course, what is essentially something dealing with uh, the traditional 5.56 in a standard, I guess, NATO comparable package uh, to whatever the 
AR-15 in the civilian world, but the M16s, the M4s, whatever various there, it's along the line of those lines as well. Correct. Yeah. So the the MCX, like I said, it was targeted to go after the AR platforms. Uh, it developed into something far greater than that, and we ended up. You know, in my opinion, this is like the this is the, the future of what the AR is between the reliability of the gun, the the way that the piston system allows it to be a much shorter, more compact platform, the interchangeability, which is phenomenal to be able to go from a six and three quarter all the way up to a sixteen in, in a matter of a minute, changing a barrel and a toolless handguard. There's a lot of features to that gun that really the development that we've put behind it. I mean, it. It became our it became our our staple, and it's the gun that we have focused on in the last several years. And the MPX, the same thing. The the subgun market, uh, we we started going after a lot of these contracts that really in the past the main competitor was really the, the MP5 kind of owned that market, and nobody was really chasing down with a with a platform that was strong enough to compete. And uh, the MPX changed all that. I mean, it, it's a incredibly reliable well-built platform that, that that not only took some of those contracts, but we were surprised to see how many groups did bring that on board. And to even add on top of that, our newest addition, the Rattler, is probably, to me, uh, obviously being here throughout this and seeing it, uh, to me, it's one of the biggest developments in, in the company's history in rifles because we essentially made a subgun-sized platform that is the size of an MP5, it's the size of an MPX. It's it's a very compact platform, but it's a it's available in a 300 blackout and a 5.56, and that has to me changed a lot of how these groups are looking at these platforms. Because I mean, an MP5 in the past has been used a lot of times to I need a gun to help me get out of a situation, and when you look at the Rattler, the Rattler it allows you to have a 200 plus yard gun in that same size package. Uh, we had talked to a few groups that were using, they would either take their M4 and they would break it down into pieces to be able to use it for these situations so they could get it small enough, or they had an MP5 or something in the 9mm caliber that they felt just wasn't strong, wasn't powerful enough, and wasn't long-range enough. And this Rattler, ever since we, we brought it out, it's it's been amazing to see the quick onset that we've gotten with a lot of these groups just because it's it's changing the subgun industry. It's it's the non-subgun, subgun-sized package. It's an amazing <laughs> It's actually, so, I mean, as you guys probably know, even though we have the 5.56, the 300 blackout is just where more and more every day, not just in the consumer side, more and more every day, 30 cal is becoming a, a big conversation right now because uh, from a lot of these events that happen overseas with these terrorists, the, the groups are starting to realize, like, 5.56 may not be, you know, enough knockdown power. So the 300 blackout, which years ago we had we adopted with open arms, is starting to grow more and more and more every day. I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot more groups in the past that looked at it and said, that's nice, but we'll hold off. There's a lot of people looking at 300 blackout now. So in terms of kind of trying to make some changes or, I guess, um, disrupt the subgun market, Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've got to tell you, you know, just like any fanboy, the MP5 is this iconic design, but it's a 1966 design firearm. That's 40 years old, so. Correct. Yeah, that's, 
And that's why we've been able to grab a lot of that market share. I mean, the MPX, we made a lot of developments to it to make it a much more robust uh, platform that's more adapted to the current usages today. And then, like I said, with the, with the Rattler, your Rattler Folded is a 16-inch platform. Um, an MP5 is actually a little bit longer than that in any configuration. So a lot of what the MP5 was known for and what it was used for was we need to get something as small as possible. And to be able to do that in the larger calibers now, like I said, it, it's changing that market significantly. Right. So is there any part of the MPX line that is compatible or interchangeable with the MCX or the Rattler? Yeah. The uh, So majority is like some of the parts like your uh, mostly your stocks. Um, we offer several different stocks that we use, a pick rail attachment on the back. Um, it just makes it quick and easy to offer as many stocks as, as we see fit. Um, we have about seven different stock offerings that we do, all with its own purpose. Uh, most are folding. We have some that are collapsing. But, yeah, those two go back and forth between each other. And then some of just the similar AR parts, your grips, things like that. Uh, but the right. handguard, the upper, the lower, those are all their own parts. But uh, in fit and feel, the guns are the same. I tell you what, that's fascinating. So, in terms of the the five one six, the seven one six, the M four hundred, do they still hold a place of significance in the eyes of Sig with if, kind of the pushing forward the MCX, MPX line? If I got rid of the five sixteen and seven sixteen, I have a couple of groups that would take me out back behind the woodshed. Uh, <laughs> that, those guns for us are. They, they will never go away. They, like I said, they just have – it's very similar like what you said about the MP5. They're, you know, a lot hasn't changed with them over the years. We haven't changed the 516 much over the last several years, but it's because the groups have brought it on. It's been such a reliable platform for them. They're bringing it in. It's it, A lot of it is they're keeping that same platform because they trust it, but also right. we still see them as different purposes. A lot of our MCX crowd is your uh, is your more elite force groups, the guys that are, that needed to be as small and compact as possible. As far as a battle rifle goes, the 516 is hard to beat. So we're kind of finding a place for them all to live. And the M400 for us is yes, absolutely still a very valid platform. We have a couple different configurations that we still sell quite a bit of because they were it was really developed to be a similar type of thing it was made to be as robust as possible um we use cold hammer forged barrels for all of our guns uh we we do a lot of things there's there's little stuff that we do that uh make us separate from a lot of the other companies um and and part of that too becomes coming from the industry and coming into sig one of the things that absolutely blew my mind about this place and still does to this day is the the testing this company does i I it was completely taken back by how much we test our products and how strict we are about those products. And none of those products are we don't we don't take a rifle and say, okay, this is going to a, a military customer. It needs special treatment. They treat every single rifle that leaves the factory that way. Um, it sometimes you know to guys like myself when you're trying to get product out the door, you can start to get frustrated because. These guys are as strict as you can be, and you realize the value in that after a while when you start to hear the success stories of people using this platform and telling us how 
It's basically the things are absolutely bulletproof. It all comes down to how we test them and what we give our consumers is the same thing that we give our, our other customers. And to me, that's, that's pretty amazing because a lot of, it's very easy to cherry pick and take your best guns and send them places. It's much harder to say everything leaves the door with the same quality standard. So I'm going to try to kind of shift gears a little bit. And, you know, JD joked about you being my early Christmas present, but it's because I, I am a, a big fan of the pistol lines. You know, I think my, my first pistol was a 226 and, you know, it had nothing to do with the Navy SEALs. It was back because when I was in high school, my stepdad was a, um, what was it, an authorized SIG dealer. He let me shoot the 226s that he got in. And this is back before rail, you know, the rail mounts on the 226s. And so this was kind of the 226 in its purest form. And I fell in love with it. And, you know, I never really appreciated anything more than I had the SIG. So when I became, uh, <laughs> I became self-employed and able to actually buy them myself, I began to, I guess, uh, make up for lost time. But, when it comes to the SIG lines, I know that, for instance, um, a uh, Secret Service agent I know carries a two thirty nine as his backup pistol. Um, I have uh, a friend who's also in federal law enforcement who, as uh, a member of uh, an officer in the Air Force, um, carried, I believe it was a two two eight, working for the government as a federal agent when he... Uh, uh, Left Air Force, he carries, I believe, a 229. Um, you know, of course, you've got, um, the 226 in popular usage, um, within, I guess, various groups in the military. Um, and in law enforcement, I'm sure, uh, it spreads the gamut. Now we have the 320 that's coming in kind of as, uh, I guess the polymer offering the competitor for what law enforcement has sought from polymer firearms. Um, Tell me, is there is there any cohesion to all of those products in the uh, government military sector, or is it just that these are the products SIG came to market with, and they found a home in those various places because of their appreciation for what you were doing? Uh, it's it's hard to say. I would I would say that I think from the side of our our particular law enforcement and everybody who uses our products. We really have kind of uh, developed over the years relationships with those groups because of the fact that they've carried us for so long and they've used our products for so long. It's allowed us to kind of, we work closely with a lot of those groups in order to develop those products you mentioned. We also have basically tried to become a major player in the, the striker fire market overnight and have been successful at it. That's been uh, probably the, the biggest growth and the the craziest part of our story is we've been known for years and we have a reputation, like you said, for our P-Series, all the people that, you know, you talk to, the cult following behind it, whether it be on the professional side or on the commercial side, you hardly go anywhere and not talk to somebody who doesn't own a 229 or a 226 that doesn't know our product line and also our 938s, 238s, which they have an amazing following. But in the last couple of years, the pistol side for us, where it's really, you know, taken its biggest climb has been the, the 320 series. I mean, it's been an amazing story all the way up until this year where it just hit the, the climax of the story by winning the Army contract. 
um, it's really become the kind of the, the new staple. Um, we're, we were seeing a lot of groups that we were selling these, our metal frame classic lines to going to polymer frame guns. I think we've all seen in the last, you know, 10 years, polymer, which started off as kind of like, uh, oh, that's a cute idea. All of a sudden, it's been taken on by all kinds of different groups. And now it's been taken on by the military. But we saw that from the outside looking in. And we wanted to keep focusing on our classic line and making sure we had a focus because we knew we had that following. But at the same time, we had to be future forward and looking at what was coming. And based on the, the MHS contract, it, it was a good thing that we did. And we've also brought in several significantly large contracts with other groups with that 320 pistol as well. So, I mean, that, that the classic line started it all for us, but I think our, our future has now become the 320. The 320 has really become the new staple of our, our product family for pistols. So do you think with the um, takeoff of the 320, is there a possibility that you're going to sideline the 250 or take the, the, SP 2022 out of the, the lineup, or do you um, think they still have a place? No, I, right now they still have a place. There hasn't been any changes there just because, like a lot of the things that we do, one of the great parts about SIG is that we don't give up on niche markets. I think a lot of times companies will look at stuff and say, we don't sell a million of those. Let's make, let's make as many black model T's as we can make it. SIG is not that company. It was built on the fact that, you know, we have, we have a hundred versions of 220s and 229s that are in different colors, different variations, different grips. That, that's how we built our business. We built our business on trying to fulfill as many needs for as many different customers as possible. And that will, that will never change. I think that's one of the reasons that this company has gotten to the levels of success that it has is that we don't forget about our customers that own you know, our, our pistols that we sell hundreds of a year, we know that those are still part of what made us who we are today, and we continue to support them. Yeah, you can, uh, you know, ta- Patrick jokingly me- mentioned that uh, the 516, five, uh, if he discontinued that, that he would be taken behind the woodshed and beat. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's by our foreign military uh, side of the house. Uh, definitely, it's the same with the 220. There's such a huge demand the two P220 uh, on with foreign military and those allied nations of ours that uh, it's not going anywhere. So tell me, what was kind of the driver behind the Legion series? Uh, the the Legion was really so the, the the gentleman that is one of my counterparts that works in product management. Um, his brainchild of the Legion was. I'm going to take a pistol that's already one of the, the best well-known pistols on the market, and I am going to do every possible thing that we have learned over the years to this pistol and make the perfect pistol. So everything that he did to those platforms was what we basically learned in development over the years. I mean, one of the things that I see on the rifle side and they we, we see on the pistol side as well is when you're facing constant battles of, we have to go win this contract. We have to go win that contract. Every single group has different demands, and those demands can oftentimes, you know, they they grill our R&D guys. I mean, the amount of work that we have to put in on a daily basis to try to keep up with what we're being asked for, I mean, it, it's a lot of companies will see 
you know, a contract come across and they'll read through it and say, yeah, there's no way we're going to be able to do that. This company, there is, there is never a chance that we are turning away from a contract and walking away. So what that leads you to do is all of a sudden you're developing, you're learning things about your platform every day by testing and by making changes and trying new things. And what the, the gentleman who developed the Legion for us, that was him basically saying, you know what, uh, all these things that we've learned over the years, I'm going to put it all into one package and start this family of pistols, which is the Legion pistols, which that's what that has turned into. The reason the Legion has spread across all of our different pistols is everything that we learned about these has been encompassed into that. And that's that really becomes your, it's very similar to what we've done on the rifle side with the Virtus. It's kind of every bit of knowledge that you can possibly take that we've learned over the years. We put it into that and made kind of the perfect pistol and the perfect rifle. So I was going to ask that. So <clears throat> is is the rifle line at some point going to be um, gone through and given kind of that legion treatment? Are you going to like pick so a Virtus? Exactly, and... Yeah, that's exactly what the, the MCX Virtus that we just launched is. Um, we didn't use the, the, the legion name because on the rifle side, we kind of wanted our own identity. But the, the Virtus, what it was, was uh, uh, the, the groups that we have, our engineering groups kind of came to me and said, hey, you know, we know the MCX is still fairly new um, and that it's been out a couple of years, but we have all of these great things in our pocket. And it wasn't that the MCX didn't start off as a great platform. It's that exactly what I said. We need to go out and like part of the, you know, the, the MCX, we had contracts that said, you need to go 20,000 rounds with zero breakages. I mean, you're talking extractors, bolts, everything. Like, zero breakages for 20,000 rounds, which to me seems crazy. But all of those developments that they had made, they kind of came to me and said, listen, we have all of these pieces from all of these different projects we've worked on. We want to put it into one product and make, like, the the perfect rifle, the perfect MCX that has all of that in it. And this Virtus that we just launched recently, I mean, that thing is, that is as, as sophisticated of a rifle by far to ever hit this market. I mean, the, the amount of testing and the millions of rounds that have been shot through that gun, we've competed all over the world in several different contracts with that gun. And it, it's every bit of those and everything that we learned is tied into those things. And that, that to me, that MCX Virtus that we have now is by far the most amazing rifle that we've ever produced. And I would quickly put it up against anything in the market as far as durability goes. So in terms of, I guess, uh, the particulars of the AR side of the world, you know, the ambi controls is something that everybody is offering a product for. Yep. Um, grips is something that's very, you know, popular in terms of customization um, accessories mounted on handguards are things that people invest in heavily. <clears throat> How configurable is the Virtus in terms of those things? Are your, yep. are your controls proprietary so you're not going to be able to put a, a battle arms safety selector on it? Can you, can you put a custom, you know, uh, grip on it? Can you mount your M-lock accessories to your handguard? Tell me about that. So, yes, so we do use a M-lock on the handguard, but um, 
the the accessory part of it, most of your controls, yes, same thing. They are AR based, and they will work with uh, other products that are on the market. Part of the, uh, the the changes, though, to the 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 Virtus were getting away from some of the what has been the staples of the AR platform over the years. Um, that was where we really had to wrap our heads around it because we were kind of moving away from that kind of hey everything is a you know fits one platform because in order to do what we wanted to do we had to get away from it so for example right. one of the big changes to the Virtus it, we have a tapered lug in it so your bolt is actually very different from a, a typical AR bolt and uh, what it was was in order to get a smoother operation to get a 20,000 round bolt we had to reduce the friction and we had to make sure that 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 bolt was going to be able to last as long as we needed it to so we had to make that kind of you know, tongue-in-cheek, okay, it's not going to be a standard AR bolt anymore because the MCX was originally made to be, this is going to be a folding stock AR, that everything else about it is AR-like so that whatever guys have for parts, they can throw it in there. But as we learn more and more, you start to realize that, the, the you know, the stoner design is an, it's an older design and not that it's not a proven, reliable design, but in order to do what we needed this platform to do, we had to break molds and we had to start going into our kind of making our own platform and that's what we did i mean the barrel system that we use is a proprietary system uh the you know one of the great things about the handguard especially with the interchangeable barrels is having a toolless handguard system so your front pivot pin is your that's what takes your handguard out uh, you remove that front pivot pin and your your whole free floating handguard slides right off so that you need as minimal amount of tools as possible in the field to be able to swap calibers um, or, or barrel lengths. We, we've also gone using like things like SD handguards, knowing that the, a lot of the, uh, customers that we have are demanding more suppressor ready platforms and to be able to have a six and three quarter with a suppressor handguard was critical to a lot of the contracts we're going after for 300 blackouts. So it, it is its own animal in a lot of senses. Now it didn't start that way. It really started as like, we need a folding stock AR. And then over the years, it's just been the learning curve. We've just basically the Virtus has been that that new step in the road where we now have a completely different platform than what we started with, for the better too. So when you take it to a point where it's evolved past its competitors, is is that kind of a I don't know um, a pucker moment when you yeah. when you realize you're committing to something that some people just how much you can prove the system are just kind of stuck with their the predecessor system. Um, yeah, and that that was a that was a huge road to cross. I mean, we there was there was battles internally because people understood how important that was for people to know that they had that system out there. But we're we're putting ourselves in a lot of these situations against the Agent Ks and the the FN Scars and these platforms that. They also broke the mold because they realized that they needed to make changes to go after and create a platform that was more durable. And when they got to that point, you know, in order for us to cross those bridges and to be able to compete and win, we had to do the same thing as basically what it came to. We realized like, you know, there was, there was parts about that platform that the, the, you know, the regular AR systems did work for, but as we developed it more and more and more, it just comes down to the fact that you have to realize that 
you know, it is an older design. And if you're going to meet the criteria of today's world for what they're looking for in a, in a battle rifle, you have to go and, and reach beyond. So in terms of that evolution, I mean, do you think that there will be a day where someone steps forward and everybody recognizes that, okay, well, this is the winner. This is the form that everybody has to um, make accessories to fit. Or do you think it's just going to be kind of like uh, like the pistol line? There is a niche for every consumer, and you're willing to fill it, but because of the breadth of that niche, or those individual niches, you'll never have one unified design that satisfies every consumer. I think, you know, that's a great question. You know, part of the, the, the part about the MCX and the way that we've developed it is, yes, in a sense, that will be hard. And one of the reasons it'll be hard is the amount of work that we've done in that platform. It would not be easy to have, you know, five competitors overnight. It would, the amount of time that it's spent to get that platform to where it is, if we were going to have somebody come out and start making a similar platform to us so that it became kind of the new staple of the industry, it would be very difficult. I, I would be shocked and surprised to see uh, anybody else come up with something as sophisticated as that rifle. So, yeah, that kind of leaves you in that position. But at the same time, you know, knowing that if you don't take it to the next level, you're never going to go and be able to, you know, grab those those pieces to the puzzle that make you the ultimate defense company. It's, it's a place where you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, we're ready to keep moving and we're going to make this rifle exactly what it needs to be to compete in every way possible. But I, I, I don't ever, you know, I, I can't say that I would see it becoming the next big AR because, like I said, I don't think, it, I think it's going to be very difficult because, you know, the, the AR platform being around as long as it has, Companies have learned how to develop ways to make it easily, and a lot of companies have almost become assembly houses of sorts. This thing is a it was a grassroots project from day one with a bunch of guys with a lot of military experience that knew exactly what was needed, and then a lot of really good engineers that spent a lot of time making mistakes and learning from them and growing the platform. I, I would be shocked to see anything in the market that looked and work like the MCX in the next 10 years. So is it, is it the case that SIG, because of its culture, because of the way that it has designed firearms, found it easier to make that departure? Or was it a struggle? Um, I, I, think it, I, I, th I think it was a struggle, and I'll tell you why. Because I think the pistol side and the rifle side, we, we're, we're, we're the same company. But we're a different company because we actually started from making more traditional ARs. And a lot of the customers that we deal with, kind of like you said, it's not just on the consumer side. On the professional side, when you say it's different than an AR, that, that's a scary moment for a lot of people because it's like, you know, can I get parts? Am I going to be able to, you know, do I have to change everything in my armorer's kit in order to be able to work on this thing? And that is a... Uh, it, it is difficult, but at the same time, you know, it, it was one of those things where it was definitely worth it. It was it was going and creating something that nobody else could do. I mean, without the development we made on the MCX, the Rattler never happens. And the, the Rattler has literally in the last six months since we brought it out, 
we're getting, you know, from both sides, commercial and professional, we're getting people who are buying that platform that it, it there's there's nothing it competes against. There's nobody out there who has something that small and those calibers. And without that development on the MCX and without us saying, you know what, we got to move forward and go away from what is and create what's next, you would never have a platform like that. And some of the stuff that we have coming behind the MCX platform, the more developments that we're making to it, a lot of that stuff, same thing. If you didn't take the chance, we wouldn't have these really cool, really innovative platforms that are creating and paving the way for new markets. So... Do you and the principal side, do you guys work collaboratively when you're talking about, I don't know, branding, when you're talking about contracting? Um, you know, is, is there some joint effort or you kind of identified it as you know, we're, we're kind of one company, but we're kind of two companies? So in the product side of things, um, I would say that that is probably true that we do have, we have different groups. And the reason we do that is because we find specialists. Jordan's comment about the George Steinbrenner, when we go out and find somebody for rifle, we don't go and find somebody and say, hey, have you worked on a gun before? Because we could use your help. Right. You know, I'm curious in terms of the rifle line, are you, Big Sour, manufacturing all of the little intricate pieces and springs and roll pins? that are part of your product or is that something that you farm out to OEM manufacturers? No, the the vast majority of the products that we make, especially like, you know, in, in telling you guys how different the MCX is, but across all our platforms, um, the vast majority of stuff now we're doing in-house. Our manufacturing facility that we built in uh, Pease, which we moved into a couple of years ago, is it's a state of the art facility, and we have uh, there is a massive amount of machinery in this place, and, and we make pretty much everything from from small parts all the way up. I mean, we make our we make all our own barrels in house for everything that we do, rifle wise, pistol wise. The the majority of the parts are all coming from us, and I think that has been a major focus of management. So a couple of years ago, when we were in our Exeter facility, which we still have, and we still make parts there and barrels there as well uh we outgrew ourselves as far as wanting to become a a manufacturing company that makes you know all of their products because you know obviously between the the quality advantage is a major thing you know not that we don't have vendor partners that are great but when you're controlling it in-house it's far far easier to make sure that you're getting the quality standards and not rejecting as much stuff so We've not only moved the majority of it in there, we continue to move more and more every day uh, But with the goal of the company ultimately being down the road to um, have everything in-house. I mean, we even went as far years ago when we were doing some carbon fiber products to bring our own carbon fiber machines in. The, uh, the, the management has a very good knowledge base for manufacturing and, you know, they're their idea and their goal and it is working very well is to be a not just an assembly house to make all the products yourself as well so you know that brings a question to mind in terms of your american footprint how much um, european company contact and interaction is there I mean, are you essentially two separate units, two separate yeah. companies? Yeah, or there, those that part of us is very separate. Um, Sig Sauer is kind of a standalone company. 
I mean, we are, you know, we are in uh, communication with our other brands, but for the most part, uh, where the focus is with the Sig Sauer as a company and our, uh, our kind of sister companies with us, they're, they're two very diverse companies as far as what we do. Uh, most of our, our sister companies are more hunting oriented, more bull gun oriented. They, they compete in different markets. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in most senses, we are kind of standalone. And one of the great things that happened was, you know, Jordan mentioned when they brought Ron Cohen in, they, uh, they gave him the, the, the keys to the car and had the trust in him to get this company to where it is today. And it worked and it's continues to work very well. So he's still driving the ship and it allows us to be very flexible. I mean, um, being a, a large company like we are, we are incredibly quick to react and we also are very, very flexible as far as being able to say, hey, there's an opportunity and we want to go take it. And that's because of the fact that everything is controlled and how as far as management was. So it seems to me that in terms of, you know, I guess the big ticket, um, you know, just at companies, you've, you've gone out and you've created a presence for them. I mean, you, you have the suppressor, you have optics, you have ammunition, is there anything that SIG feels is missing? Uh, it, it'd be hard to find much else. I mean, I think right now our focus is we have the pieces to the puzzle that we wanted. Uh, that was the company's focus was really the, the kind of the four business units that we have outside of firearms now, the RASP, Airsoft, uh, our air gun guys, our silencers, our um, ammo, and our optics. Those were the pieces that, you know, the the owner and the company as a whole wanted to put together to kind of feel like we were going to have the complete system that we needed. Um, I think now the focus is taking all of those business units and continuing to progress them into new markets and to continue to grow them. And probably the biggest thing is to continue to, you know, develop with each other. Um, it, it's a very unique situation compared to what you see in the rest of the market. As I mentioned, you know, the, the only other gun companies that have optics companies own other optics companies. This model of building a Sig Sauer optic that it, it blows my mind how quickly that took off. And you see guys shooting guns of all different brands with Sig Sauer optics on them in a very short period of time. That, that success was due to not saying, Hey, let's just own a brand and then we can have an optic to put on our product. It was, hey, let's build a brand that does all the things that we want the product to do. It's it's a pretty amazing story. I mean, I don't think you could have convinced me 10 years ago that if we started a six-hour optic line, not only would it be successful, but the level of product that we're putting out is it's phenomenal. And the same thing applies to the ammo and the suppressor guys. I mean, we're, we are really driving innovation in all of those markets under one umbrella. How much of that do you think is SIG's pursuit of the intellectual capital? And how much it, is it SIG's ability to basically underwrite the, I guess, the bootstrap creation of an entire division? I mean, that obviously isn't something you can do without resource. It, that, that's, you're 100% right. So, you know, the, the one that I brought up first, the guys from our optics division, um, most of those guys were R&D at uh, Leopold and some other companies, and they kind of, you know, were looking for an opportunity. 
and they have the ability to do all the things that they've done for us. But sometimes it's, you know, it's not as easy to be able to go and say, hey, I'm going to go start my own company and have the umbrella of a company like SIG to help me do the developments I need to do. So for sure, having the, you know, the, the big brother of SIG being able to step up and say, hey, that's a heck of an opportunity and that's a great product. Let's go make it. That was key to the success of all of those. We had all the right people, but having all the right people is is definitely one big part of it. But you need that resource if they have great ideas and they have great products to not only make them, but to get them out to the market and to tell people about them. And that's where, you know, having SIG as the big brother for everybody for all of these companies has made the biggest difference. So we kind of really seen in terms of the optics and the suppressor side of things, how you can... I guess, build the product, build the brand, bring them to market, and do it well. But I'm curious because, to me, there there is always this hue and cry for innovation in firearms. And we yep. see that in your rifle line. And, you know, I, I see the the um, the improvements and, and the, the great things you do in the pistol line. But is there, like, a team of the same kinds of people the same intellectual capital in the firearm side of things that, you know, are given the keys to the laboratory and told to go back there and not come out until, you know, they bring something to life? We have an amazing system as far as that goes. So, like I said, our exitor facility uh, that used to be the main headquarters until a couple of years ago for SIG, that is 90% engineers now. And those engineers are, there's heads to those engineering groups, and then they have several engineers from guys coming out of college to guys who have been in the industry for 20 years working for them. But all of our head engineers that head up each division, each group, have been with SIG for quite some time and were some of the major driving forces behind the products that we have. But those guys, for sure, that's one of the reasons we innovate as well as we do is uh, our management is very keen on innovation and in order to be able to do that on the firearm side, you have to be able to give that kind of open ability to your engineers to be able to do what they need to do. And uh, that has been by far one of our best ways of being successful in the firearm side. Um, some of the things that we've done on the 320, some of the things that we've done on the MCX, those were things that you know, some of the people on the, the highest levels probably didn't know about until we brought them to them and said, hey, this is ready to go. You need to see this. And that was because they have the faith in those guys over there that these groups are able to get it done. And they, they know that we're able to not only start but complete these projects and they have all the faith in the world about the products that we're making. And another nice part of it is by having everything made in-house, um, as we grow more and more into that, like 100% SIG made in-house and, and not having things made outside, you're constantly having your engineers work with your manufacturing guys which to me was one of the, the best parts about this company when I got here. It's very easy for, you know, somebody to make a make an awesome gun as a prototype and say, look at this, it's great, it, it does everything that everybody wants it to do. But to be able to make, you know, thousands of those and not tens of those, that is one of the biggest difficulties in the gun market and why some things never make it to market. Or you hear about this really cool gun that you saw at SHOT Show and you could never find one in the store. The hardest execution is how does this product become a reality? And by having the engineers be able to work as close as they do with our manufacturing guys to say, hey, 
here's my concept, here's my idea, are we going to be able to make it to the level of quality and the standards that I wanted to, and how do we get to that? And by having that collaboration amongst those as well is, to me, it's, it's one of the reasons why SIG's quality is hands above everybody else is that we have groups that work together on that manufacturing side to make sure that we can produce thousands of products at all the same quality level. So when it comes to the projects that the engineers work on, uh, tell me, are they projects that are driven because of a customer request, a consumer demand, somebody's, I don't know, intuitive leap into what needs to be the next thing, or, you know, is it literally a guy in engineering calls you up and says, hey, I just had a eureka moment. Yeah, there's a mix of some of that stuff, I would say. So we have a group that is kind of separate from our engineers, our our uh, separate division that's kind of our, our brain trust of sorts. Uh, they're the guys, the mad scientists working out back, and a lot of their drive is to be working on what is the next thing at SIG, um, and that way it, it makes it so that when we have, you know, a bunch of contracts we're competing in and we know what those deliverables are, our engineers can go and work on those, and it doesn't affect them to not have the time to be able to think about what's next and be looking down the road. So we actually have a special division over there, a group of guys who actually are, are some of our longest tenured guys there that specifically sit there all day, and those are the guys that are driving the new products, the innovation. And then when they get that piece that they see it's ready to go and there's a demand for it, they hand those over to the engineers to go and execute, and then that allows them to keep looking at down the road. So we're never we're never standing still as far as innovation goes. We always have guys in house that are looking at the next product while we still have guys making sure what we have on the table is getting done. So does that make them like SIG Imagineers or? <laughs> they're, yeah, they're known as our special weapons group, but those guys are uh, they're they're some. They're really cool guys. I mean, you're talking guys that have been in the industry for a very long time that have made some really cool weapons. And basically, when you talk about, you know, pistol guys and rifle guys, these guys, you could put anything in their hand and they could make it into a really cool gun for you. They're they're kind of our, our brain trust group. And they without groups like that, I mean, that, that's who you need to be thinking about you know, what does SIG become next? Because it's it's very hard to get lost in the shuffle when you have contracts flying in and you have, you know, customer requests of, hey, if you guys made this, we could sell a bunch of them. A lot of that stuff is important to us. But, yeah, you still have to be, if you want to be the lead innovator in the industry, you need that group of mad scientists sitting out back that are, that are thinking of the next thing. So I want to explore something that I, I, I guess, personally taken uh, note of. In, in the pistol side of things, I noticed that you put some triggers from gray guns into some of your products. Yep. So is that something that is going to be more used in the future, not that company in particular, but that you might go out to somebody that does something really well and say, I want your product in my firearm? Or... Yeah. You buy those companies at some point and say, hey, we always loved your thing. We use your thing in our firearms. Now we want to acquire it. Uh, I would say the majority of the time, it's us developing our own stuff. Uh, the Gray Guns is a very unique situation. So Bruce Gray was actually a, uh, he was one of our uh, shooters for Team SIG. 
and uh, he was a very, very close, uh, very, very close with our classic pistol line manager, still is to this day, and uh, that's how that relationship developed. He is definitely kind of a unicorn in that sense, and the vast majority of what we do, even if we see something that we like that's cool on the market, uh, we our guys are they have that you know that chip on their shoulder that they can do it better, um, right. but. As far as the, the gray gun side of it, we knew he made a great trigger. He was a very uh, close friend to the company as far as he worked closely with us. And that's really kind of the thing is that he was really, he was almost working with us more than he was selling us triggers. We don't do anything development-wise in the pencil side without Bruce being a part of it. And that's not just, hey, we're going to make a phone call. It's Bruce coming in and spending time with our engineers and with us to go over everything he's he's a very close part of the company so he's a very unique situation i would say now i'm going to tell you a story and i don't want you guys to laugh because i think this kind of you know attests to my appreciation for the sig firearms but maybe my ocd complex with regard to them so you know of course you guys came out with the short triggers not the short reset but the actual short triggers and uh, i know you can still get them for the the bigger p series the uh, 220s and 226s and so on, but I carry a 239. Yeah. And you stopped making that trigger. <laughs> so I spent the better part of a year and a half scouring ads trying to find what I thought was a re- reasonable purchase of a 239 that had that trigger in it so I could take it out and put it in my carry piece. <laughs> That's, oh, the kind of, that's the kind of customers we produce at SIG. We like that. Well, I just want to suggest maybe you bring a, a 239 short trigger back. I, I'm just bring, saying. I will bring it to my uh, my counterpart's attention. <laughs> well, and I want you to know that I, I, I ended up calling SIG on several occasions. They even called your academy because someone told me they had caseloads full of just parts and they might have one. Yep. Just, just scouring trying to find it. It was, <laughs> it was like finding hen's teeth. It was hot. Yeah, that's great. So, do you guys think right now that um, you could tell the listeners that you know what the vision for tomorrow is when it comes to SIG? I mean, we have some really great products. You guys are really in a great place now. You, you've, you've proven yourselves in so many different arenas. I mean, what is the future look like in terms of where SIG is going to go now? We are we are very happy with what we've done, but I would also say that we are completely unsatisfied until we have everything from a, especially from a professional standpoint as far as we, the company and the people in the company take so much pride from a, uh, our defense side as far as being a part of these groups that we get. The MHS contract, for example, that was a huge win for us and company-wide from uh, the guys sweeping the floor to the assembler, the assemblers to the engineers. To everybody in that company felt that sense of pride that it, it was pretty amazing to see. And that's the kind of chip on our shoulder that everybody who works at SIG has. And until we have that, uh, until we feel like on the rifle side and the pistol side, we are serving every professional market and, you know, we're... <laughs> to have our troops carrying our pistols on their hip and want to continue to try to grow that on the rifle side and every other part of our business. 
I think until we feel like we've accomplished all of that, we will continue to push and never be satisfied. And even on our uh, our consumer products as well as our professional products, just from a technology standpoint, I think we feel like every day we feel like we can do something new and better. And the guys that work there constantly have that kind of chip to make the the next greatest thing. And it it's pretty cool to be a part of. I mean, the, the firearms industry has consolidated a lot in the last several years. You've seen a lot of companies be acquired. You've seen a lot of these these massive changes to the firearms companies. And SIG to to be standing there alone has made us so flexible to be able to say, no, our focus isn't on making a million of one gun. It's to be the company that's innovating and serving these these markets. And even though we make 300 of this gun a year, that customer is still important to us. I, I think continuing to, to be that company and to continuing to drive to, to make more innovation in the industry and to continue to be the leader, I mean, there's a lot of pride amongst that company with everything that we do. And I think it's, there's there's not one person in there that's satisfied at this point. I think we want a lot more. So let me ask you a question. You know, you've used the word, you have a, a chip. Um, we've talked about pride. You know, obviously, we are in a fickle age with uh, a fickle generation of, I think, computer-savvy consumers. Mm-hmm. Um how do you make sure the company is able to, you know, I guess address the issues that pride sometimes brings, you know, myopic vision, um, a failure to see problems before they become big. Um, is that something that someone has their kind of hand on the stick that says, all right, here's something that's happened. We need to make sure that we take a step back, figure out what's going on, and make it right. It's it's kind of funny, I think, that you would say that. I think Jordan will agree with me that from a standpoint of where a lot of companies, you know, you have social media nowadays, you have your web presence nowadays, a lot of that stuff can get lost, and you feel as a consumer when you're, you know, you're screaming out loud trying to reach out to a company about, you know, what you are experiencing or, you know, what you're looking for. I can tell you from my experience, like I said, being in the firearms industry, nobody watches that stuff closer than, than we do. I mean, if, if there is a comment put on one of our social medias, uh, one of our platforms, there's somebody running in saying, hey, I saw somebody saying this. We need to address this right away. It, it's it's pretty crazy to see, but that's that's what having pride does for you, I think, you know, if you have a lot of people that, that work, you know, at your company and they don't take pride in what they do, you tend to come in and do the day by day. But I would say that that is not SIG as a company. I think, you know, from a, a, side, a side of what people reach out to us as far as communication for what they feel we can do better and, you know, any problems they experience, we as SIG are very, very close to that and we watch it very closely and we take it very much to heart. When you feel like you're putting the best product on the market and somebody says, hey, this isn't good, you take it to heart and you figure it out. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of SIG now is, you know, Jordan mentioned you where he came from. I told you where I came from. A lot of SIG is where a lot of the people I feel from the industry that, you know, wanted 
to feel like they were part of a really successful story came from wherever we came from in the gun industry to kind of come here. And so we take a whole lot of pride in being part of SIG and what we develop and what we put out. And we take everything that our customers are, are giving us for feedback as input, and we constantly are working to get better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a testament that is <clears throat> the most recent uh uh, perception of the, the 320 and the uh, drop safety. Um, it, we, it was brought to our attention, and while we had zero U.S. commercial commercial incidents out of 500,000 firearms that were out there, we took at a perception's reality. And if the consumer deems that an issue or something that needs to be addressed, uh, you know, it, it, it's our responsibility as a manufacturer to take our take that seriously and, and address it. And, and that's what we did within 48 hours. We had a solution. Now it took us longer to implement that solution, but, uh, uh, that's, that's, uh, evident in the, uh, the 320 enhancements that are going out the door right now. Uh, and, um, you know, it also, also, I think it's, it's funny to mention the, uh, you look at, uh, SIG and, and we're never going to be one of those companies that's satisfied with having, uh, a 30 year old design that's never improved upon. Uh, and, uh, you know, this, this industry is interesting in that you have a lot of the consumer base that, um, oftentimes is upset that you come out with something new because they just bought the wool, the, the, the version that, that had come out previously. And, uh, but it's, you don't have the same thing in the automotive industry when you come out with a 2017 model. You're not upset that you don't call GMC. Uh, and are, are, are on their on their uh, social media, you don't complain that they they came out with a 2017 model when you bought the 2016. Um, <laughs> so it is it is one of those things. It's, it's an interesting industry, but you know uh, we're unapologetic that we are committed to innovating and uh, furthering our our brand and giving our consumer our customer. Uh, we want a lifetime customer and uh, unapologetic that we were we want to give them the best product possible. You know I. I think that I would say, you know, every time I get on the website and I begin looking at the firearms that, that I buy, that I appreciate shooting, there's always something new. There is always some twist that you put on it. And, and I know that you have put innovations into these designs over time. There's no, you know, in my perspective, static design that I would say that has languished, you know, from attention. But we, we hear so many people talk about, oh, well, so-and-so came out with the latest thing, and it's just, you know, their old thing with a new color. And they aren't innovating. What is it about SIG and its culture that keeps you doing that, that keeps you innovating, that keeps you bringing out new products? Well, that's exactly what you just said is, is why uh, I think we have such a very good, sophisticated customer base because... When we make changes, it's exactly what you said. It's very easy on on both sides of the market to you know put a put a new piece of furniture or a new color on it and call it a new product. Ours is it's it's not the body of the car; it's the engine. And our customers who are avid owners, they they research that, they know that. And a lot of our changes that we're making, that our engineers are doing. They are, you know, they're, they're massive undertakings. They're, they're, they're tested beyond extremes to make sure that they're going to last. There are things that we do that, that matter, 
not to, you know, the, the prettiness of the gun that matters to the function and the longevity of the platform. And, and I think that's, like I said, that's why we have, you know, a lot of the, the, the SIG customers that we meet and guys that are avid SIG owners, they are very, very highly educated gun people. And it's because when we make these changes and we, we do these things, they understand what they are and they understand the value of them. It's, it's definitely a product that we see, you know, we have a lot of new customers coming in buying SIGs, but we have a, we have a quite a base of people that have been with us since day one that have watched us and do exactly what you said. They see us come out with something new and say, great, now I got to go buy another gun. And we love that, obviously, for multiple reasons, but probably the biggest being that our customers understand what we're thinking into it. It, It's not always easy to see from the outside, but if you look at the engine, you see these changes that we're making, and you see how we're continuing to develop as a company. So I am gaining a reputation in my podcast um, of being a bit of a fanatic around the 357 SIG <laughs> uh, even to the degree that um, we had a uh, group, uh, uh, an individual uh, as part of a group, reach out and uh, indicate that he would help me develop a uh, barrel for a rotating bolt um, uh, pistol caliber AR chambered in 357 Yeah. Just in terms of what SIG is doing, is the 357 SIG... As a uh, as a caliber, as a projectile, something that is part of your engineering consideration when it comes to all of your firearms, or is yeah, it just pistol. Obviously, adding a uh, has changed a lot of that around for us, and we certainly have our eyes looking at it as far as MPX goes. Um, and we have, you know, we still have a good calling for it on the pistol side. It's a it's a uh, it's a caliber that was for a while kind of a niche caliber, but it has grown over the years. And, and like I said, for sure, now that we have our own ammo company, I think a lot of those developments that we've, you know, that we've made and we're constantly trying to better our ammo. And when we're doing that stuff, it gives us the ability to continue to improve on not just the ammo that we make, but the, you know, the calibers that we focus in as a company and 357 SIG is close to home for us. So, yeah, it's something that we're definitely eyeballing in the uh, the MPX platform because we know that there's still a big following. And most people that, you know, like I mentioned, a lot of guys that own SIG pistols, they own SIG rifles. It's, it's a, we have a kind of a, a, a base of customers that own everything we make. And so we know a lot of those guys out there that, that own that are, are looking very closely at our MPX waiting for that to come. I know. I'm, I'm going to have to give you my home. Oh, my gosh. Home. <laughs> when the MPX comes out in 257 SIG, you'll be the first one. There you go. <laughs> oh, my goodness, guys. You just justified, like, every mention of the 357 SIG that Reed has had in the last 27 episodes in a row. <laughs> now, you see, this is coming from the guy that's an HK fanboy. Ouch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, JD. Yes, sir. I, I, I I think I've, I've asked every, I mean, I feel like that kid in the, you know, fantasy baseball league gets to sit down with every major league team he wants to sit down with. I mean, tell, tell me, is there anything I've missed, J.D.? I think you've covered about anything, everything. I know you're going to get off the air in uh, about 20 minutes, 
after you're going to be like, dang it, I should have asked that. But um, I, I think, you know, we've been rolling for about uh, 90 minutes now. So I'm pretty sure you've asked everything. Well, let me, let me ask you this, guys. I mean, of course we've got SHOT Show coming up. Um, it, it's kind of a big thing. Is SIG going to show up at SHOT with anything new and really exciting this year? Or do you oh, think oh, it's I'm going really- to stop Patrick before he answers. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we're going to have to hold off on, on that one. But uh, I'm not, we're not going to get into details. Uh, but there is something very, very revolutionary coming. And when I say uh, game-changing in this industry, I'm not talking about more of the same uh, by any means. I'm, I'm talking about something that is uh, truly innovative that, that SIG is known for and uh, that, that will create a new classification of firearms. Nice. Well, I have to tell you that your booth at SHOT is like the big time suck for me. I want pass, and I'm drawn in. I just I can't help myself from uh, just browsing. Just kind of marking the middle list of, yeah, I want one of those. I want one of those. And, yeah, I love, well, I've got one of those, but I could use another. There you go. Tell you. We actually have to have him paged by, you know, by the convention to, to find it. I mean, we know where he's at, but he's just so far deep entrenched in it. We, we you know, we got to get him out of the rabbit hole and bring him back and be like, Reed, we, we got to go see some others. We can't spend all week here at the SIG booth. <laughs> If there's one booth you're going to see, you're in the right one. <laughs> Absolutely. And we totally understand the uh, fourth quarter, you know, you ask about SHOT Show, we're going to get the same answer from everybody we talk to. So we totally get that. But we, uh, uh, Jordan, I hope to be able to uh, put a microphone in your face and talk to you at uh, SHOT Show for that news that uh, you can share with our listeners. <laughs> yeah, we look forward to telling you guys about it. Uh, you know, what's, what's, what's awesome about SIG, it is a marketer's dream, and You've got not just uh, not just firearms. I'm break it down. You have pistols, long guns, suppressors, um, ASP ammunition. All of these business units, optics that we that we have business units. All these industries that we are, have business units in. We are uh, we've got really truly innovative products that we're really excited about coming out for Shot Show. That's that uh, you know it's it's it is a marketer's dream. That's uh, something we're we're gonna have a lot. To- Talk about a shot show. Look forward to it. Awesome. Well, that's great. Um, is there anything that, Patrick, you want to share with us? Anything that we didn't ask you about that you'd like to tell the listeners about? Uh, no, just, you know, kind of to sum everything up. I think as a, as a group on the rifle side, since I came here, you know, like I said, this is this company, one of the, the, the coolest things that I've seen since I've been here is it seems like where all of us in the industry have kind of got together to, to to reach the pinnacle of our career it's it's a really cool company to work for it's a very uh the the amount of testing the amount of pride the amount of everything that that we produce out of this company is it's it's amazing to me like i said having been in the industry for seven years when i got here it was a it was a complete culture change just to see how everybody cared so much about the product that we made from the academy all the way over to, uh, to the people in the, the back of the factory. Everybody there, you know, is pri- takes pride in the product that we make. And it's a, uh, it's, if you, if, if a, if somebody hasn't picked up a SIG and shot one, you need to, cause I mean, re- really, these are, these are guns made by people who are the, 
to me, the best in the industry. And we continue to, to make sure that that is a big part of our, you know, our, our product and what we're putting out there. I mean, one of the, the coolest things that we just launched back out and you guys brought it up earlier in the, the broadcast is the P210. And it's been, uh, we're making a custom, custom, very high end pistol in production. And to see how that's been handled and to see how it's been done in that company is phenomenal. I, I can't think of any manufacturer that I've been in that could make a product that is truly custom grade in a volume like that outside of SIG. It, the people that are there are, are phenomenal and the company itself is, is amazing. So if you guys, any of you guys listening haven't shot one of our products, it, it'll, it'll be a game changer for you. You got to try them out. Well, I can attest to that. Jordan. Any last words from you? I let Patrick do most of my talking these days. He's, uh, <laughs> he's good at it. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely second him. I, I, it's, um, I'm, I'm just excited to be here in such a cool time when we're coming out with such innovation. Um, and and uh, we'll never be satisfied in that pursuit of, uh, of innovation. So it's, it's neat to be a part of this. So I guess with that, gentlemen, we really want to thank you for coming on the show for talking to our listeners, for indulging my appreciation for saying <laughs> and for sharing with our listeners something I think I have always recognized, but J.D. failed to be willing to recognize. We're going to pull him away from HK after all this. He's going to, he may not, he may not come quickly, but he will come eventually. Well, since we sat down with the guys from SIG, I have actually purchased uh, my first SIG handgun. Uh, more about that on a later episode of the AR-15 podcast. Hope you enjoyed our visit with SIG. I know it uh, definitely made Reed's day. Uh, we got some stuff we want to talk to you about, and I'll be right back to wrap up the show. Once again, RTT Firearms is teaming up with the AR-15 podcast to support the show. Uh, they are offering a discount to AR-15 podcast listeners, 10% on any new rifle and 20% off any Cerakote work that you want done on your favorite AR. Uh, if you're looking to build your dream rifle in 2018, an AR-9 or a 45 pistol caliber carbine, 300 blackout, 556, 308 or 65 Creedmoor, whatever you can dream up, they can make happen. They're offering a 10% discount to AR-15 podcast listeners for new rifles and also 20% off any Cerakote work. They're also running a Glock frame deal right now for your slide to get Cerakote work done, $99 plus shipping, and they will take care of that too. So whether you want to build your dream rifle, do some Cerakote work on your favorite AR-15, RTT Firearms can help you out. Once again, they're offering listeners a 10% discount on all new rifles, 20% off all Cerakote work. You can reach them at 928-230-1729. That's 928-230-1729 or their website, rttfirearms.com. For questions, comments, how you can support the show and find out what's going on with the show, you can go to our website. It is ar-15podcast.com. That's ar-15podcast.com. Uh, you can also support the show there, too. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.
This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv. 